Hi, Seth. <laughs> Hi. Do you want to just introduce yourself and tell us um, about your role at um, Greenie is the New Black and talk a bit about your passion for sustainability? Uh, so, yeah, my name is Stephanie Dixon. I'm the founder of Green is the New Black. And I, yeah, basically I do everything for the company. <laughs> a little bit of everything as you do in a startup. Uh, I think we all... Yeah, we're multiple hats and, and always trying on new hats as we're growing. Um, and yeah, I guess so Green is New Black is a lifestyle media platform um, with, you know, a mission to make sustainability accessible, mainstream um, and sexy. That's, you know, something that we really want to do. Um, I guess our bigger mission is to really just empower individuals and brands to take little green steps and just know that that's something that you can do on a daily mm. basis um, and not to get, you know, to kind of tackle the overwhelm that I think a lot of people feel with sustainability. Um, my passion kind of started because I actually used to work in fashion. So I used to run fashion festivals around Asia. And it was my dream job at the time. And then basically I had a few epiphanies when I realized that actually fashion was one of the most polluting industries in the world. It was one of the most socially corrupt and mm. I felt really blindsided at the time. Cause Isn't it like the second or something? The second yeah, no, that got defunct. So it's right. one of the most polluting industries. Okay. It's not <laughs> the second most polluting industry. Um, that research, you can't find it anymore actually online. Right. Yeah, they removed it. <laughs> <laughs> but still, it got the stat got stuck in a lot of people's minds. But yeah, yeah it's not okay. the second. Um, although a lot of people still use that. Yeah. So. Uh, you got to be careful with your statistics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So basically, after that, I just yeah couldn't couldn't continue working in fashion anymore, and I felt yeah completely blindsided. So I quit my job, not really knowing what I was going to do um, at the time, and then I was trying to find a community um, where yeah I could raise my hand and be like, hey, I'm new to sustainability. I don't really know what I'm doing. What can mm -hmm. I do? But I'm passionate about this. Like I want to be part of a solution and not be part of the problem anymore. Um, but at the time, they were like too businessy, too preachy, or um, too hippie, and I just felt. And then I went to a lot of female networking events, and I actually felt the ones that I went to, or maybe it was just my insecurities, like when I was younger. Um, but I just felt like they were really judgy. Yeah. I, I didn't feel like they were a safe space that I could be right, open right. and vulnerable. So I said, screw it. Like I'm an events person. I'm going to build my own event mm. for questions I want answered, for a you know welcoming atmosphere that I want right. to create. And so that's why I started. Um, and that was the wedge originally, and right, then right. that now merged into Green is New Black. And Green is New Black Festival itself started um, because, yeah, I wanted to discover better brands and mm. realize that actually a lot of people also want to do good, but they don't know who Have to support. Yeah, they don't know who to support. They don't know which brands and how transparent they are. Mm -hmm. So we kind of wanted to be that connecting platform where we do the research, bring the cool brands together, and then bring the community that yeah. cares about that. Um, and then that's obviously grown from just the festivals, from like 600 people to like our last one was like four and a half thousand wow, in Hong crazy. Kong. Um, yeah. So that growth over four years and then then launched the media platform and like a membership program as well. But yeah, all kind of with the same vision or mission of mm -hmm. empowering people to realize it's it's easy to be green. Wow. So that all started out with just you running events, basically? Yeah. So, well, I did side hustle. So yeah, when I first started... Say, how did you manage yeah. to say, you know, obviously you have to pay rent and everything? Exactly. So when we first started The Wedge, um, I was doing social media marketing consulting because mm. um, that was one of the skills that I did at my old company. I was a marketing manager and also um, event 
head of events. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I started doing that and then I started doing events, like people came to our events and realized we were good at it. So then I started doing events for other right, people. Right. So that was like the side hustle piece is like consulting and event management yeah. while I was building Green as New Black into what I wanted to do. And then about two years ago or 18 months ago, um, I was able to make the switch completely right, to focus right. fully on Green as New Black because then we built the media platform and we created a revenue stream mm -hmm. and model around it. Um, but yeah, there was a big side hustle there in the beginning. And how long were you kind of working on that side hustle before you made the full transition? Like two years. Yeah. Two years, two and a half years, yeah. So when you decided to quit your job, obviously, you know, that you've got this side hustle, but it's not guaranteed, right? So it's not like a, a kind of consistent monthly salary that you would get in a long fixed term job. Um, did you, like, what were your thoughts when you decided to quit? Was it kind of like a, taking a big leap in, like, faith? Yeah, say? I mean, I guess when I quit my job originally, I just quit. And then I started figuring out how I could do, like, because then I was very passionate about sustainability. So I'm like, hey, what can I do that people will pay me for now right, right. while I build what this I really want to do? Yeah, yeah. yeah, so that was, I mean, that was, it was kind of scary, but I also was just, young and dumb and naive and I was like I'll <laughs> figure it out if you don't mind me um, I was 26 oh, wow. when I quit the yeah. first time the first yeah my job after yeah, only yeah. working for four years and I was like yeah I can do this, this okay. <laughs> <laughs> basically I didn't know if I could yeah. swear <laughs> but that um, naivety literally will take you it's like that exactly. bravery as well yeah I and it, yeah I just didn't even think of twice about it and I, I bet was you like, haven't looked back since yeah exactly <laughs> so I just yeah I didn't really care at the time but then yeah, when it came to giving up the consulting piece that we built and the event management part yeah. of the company, because then we became, you know, pe people came to us yeah. and we built that business up, right, still in itself. And so the day that I decided to say no, even then I was still getting people sending me like inbound requests yeah. for business. And there was a big part of me that was like, oh, holy shit, like, can I really say no to this? Like, <laughs> and the universe was like, are you sure, Steph? Like, are you sure? Because we don't work for you over here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, no, this is not what we want to do anymore. I want to do Green as New Black full time, and that's what I'm going to do. So it just took that leap of faith, which it is, because mm. it was, yeah. and you know, there's like temptation like coming there, but yeah, I took the leap of faith and didn't turn back. Yeah, and that, and that second transition has turned out great. Yeah. Have you, um, what would you say has been the biggest challenge? Would you say it's more of a mindset thing and just the doubts that yeah. you have in your mind as opposed to the actual practicalities of it? I think, yes, my biggest challenge has been myself <laughs> over the years. I think, yeah, like just being an A-type, you know, A-type personality and just, uh, yeah, very high standards. Um, very anal, you know, detail-oriented event I person. Good, though. Yeah. I think I read, well, I was reading, have you read Shoe Dog? Um, mm -mm. By the founder of Nike. So my uncle used to work for Nike and he's met the founder a few times and he was saying how he's like the most particular person ever. And sometimes I think there's something to be said for being, mm. you know, anal and actually just actually having standards, but yeah. like standards which are very, very set in stone. So. Yeah, yeah I totally example. agree because I have high standards and I yeah. love my standards, but at the same time, it's driven stressful. me very, <laughs> yes, very stressful, very crazy. <laughs> okay, cool. And, and where are you from originally? So I was born in Sydney, but my parents are Scottish and I grew up in Asia. So I'm a third culture kid. Right. And you live here in Singapore. You've lived here for 12 years, 12 years in now. total. Yeah. Wow. And um, 
So how come you run the festivals in Hong Kong? Yeah, so we started in Singapore. We ran it here for three years and then we wanted to expand. Um, okay. You know, we wanted, to, we were dot Asia originally, now we're dot com. So our original plan was to be regional, now we want to be global. Mm -hmm. um, so I think we wanted to just, again, it was just naivety and, you know, I guess dumb bravery. <laughs> and we were like, yeah, let's go, let's go to Hong Kong. They speak English there, <laughs> at least, and it will be easy. So we made like three trips because it just kind of worked out that way. Like, yeah. and we did three trips and met a bunch of people when we were there and, and everyone was like, yes, Hong Kong really needs this. We don't have anything like this. Um, and so we said, sure, let's do it. And we just did it. There was like three of us doing it at the time and right. it was insane. Like it was definitely the most stressful festival we've ever done because we were planning it from Singapore. None yeah. of us lived in Hong Kong. Then Paula moved there, my co-founder. Right, she right. moved there about six weeks before the event. It was Six just insane, weeks, and there was, crazy. yeah, it was crazy, and then I went there only like three weeks before the event, and yeah, it was, it was insanity, but we pulled it off, and it was our biggest yet, and most successful, oh, so. Congratulations. <laughs> but yeah. how did you, how did you go about finding, you know, the, the venue, and like. Well, we'd done that on the pre-trips, so right, right, yeah, I so I kind of locked in, we'd found the, the ideal venue, and then negotiated with them for like six months, five or six months before. Yeah, because the rent's ridiculous. I it's insane, yeah, so. Mm -hmm the world yeah exactly um but we were just we just did it i mean we just wanted to go and you know i guess i just you know because of that a-type craziness i have inside it's like yeah of course i'm gonna do this and, and just once you make, make a decision in yeah. your head you make it happen exactly we yeah. set it publicly we'd <laughs> announced it at our, at our singapore festival in october so there was no turning back yeah. after that i was like well we're obviously going to just do this so <laughs> <laughs> and were your brands based in hong kong then um, were they kind of just around the APEC region? For the marketplace, you mean the brands and that were there? For the festival you hosted in Hong Kong? Yeah, so there were largely Hong Kong brands. We had one or two from Bali, and we had about six or eight from Singapore ah, going, which is cool. Interesting. When is the next one? So I'm originally from Hong Kong, ah. um, and I need a reason to go back more often, yes, <laughs> even though it's come. so close. It's uh, the 13th <laughs> and 14th of April. Okay, so it's literally next month. Yeah, that's why it's really crazy yeah. for us right now. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. I'll see if I can pop over. Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah, it's cool. And how do you find, have you found there to be, obviously there's big cultural differences between Singapore and Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. Have you found any struggles in terms of coordinating and um, hosting both festivals in both countries? I mean, I think both places are incredible and they both have very different communities and very different mm -hmm. um, pluses and minuses. I guess in Hong Kong, um, some things cost an obscene amount over there versus here. And that was really interesting because I guess we didn't really think about the fact that like AV is extortionate to have in, in AV? like audiovisual oh, equipment right, and, <laughs> and teams behind it. It's like literally three or four times as expensive as it is in Singapore. Really? So yeah. that was just a crazy thing that we didn't, you know, of course we didn't budget in and yeah, we didn't anticipate yeah. and stuff like that. Um, but I think people in Hong Kong are really supportive. Like they're very community driven. So they're very happy to um, kind of support and yeah, and just like we we really were overwhelmed and excited about the 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 support that we had in Hong Kong. Mm. Um, I think yeah, culturally, of course, it's it's very different, um, and it's just some f funny things, you know. Like sometimes people are like, no, we can't do that. They just want to say no straight away, and then later you're like, okay, but you could do this and you could do that, and da, da, da. we sweet talk <laughs> them. And they're like, okay, fine, we can do that. So there's like some interesting things like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's just, but it's fun. And, you know, Paula's living there now, so she's building the network and the community over oh, there, which is really great. So That's great. So just on Paula, she's, so she's your creative director. 
and right? co-founder and co-founder yeah. how did you guys meet and what's the story behind your yeah. relationship i guess <laughs> so i started green is new black in 2015 um and we hadn't met yet so i started just with the festivals and the side hustle that i was talking about mm. um and then basically we met i think we met in 2016 no it must have been 2017 I don't really remember the timeline, to be honest, but we met, I came to one of her events that she was running. She was running a screening with DJs, music, trying to make like, her boyfriend is a DJ. So wow. they would run parties where he would play cool music, DJ Vito. He's part of the mm -hmm. La Mamies group, they're French. Oh, yeah, so he would DJ and she would screen documentaries. So she would try to make like, like the share. Effect kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. try to share her passion for sustainability in a cool music scene. So she would kind of like, trick people to come and watch documentaries in a sense. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, it was yeah. like, come to this cool party and like, by the, the way, we're going to screen this documentary. Underlying, like, <laughs> <laughs> underlying message. Yeah, exactly. That's brilliant. Super wow. cool. And so I had a lot of admiration for what she was doing yeah. and how in cool. Singapore, yeah, in Singapore. And then she came to my wedge events that I was running and then basically like she kind of went away to France and came back and then we re-met again and we just got on like a house on fire. Um, and then, yeah, she just kind of called me up one day and was like, hey, I want to do this, like, um, at the time it was like an e-commerce. So she's like, I kind of want to do like a conscious or sustainable fashion e-commerce. And I was like, yeah, I kind of have the same idea. So why don't we meet up in January? Cause it was Christmas time and let's swap ideas. Mm. And so we sat down and we basically came up with this concept together and we were going to do an e-commerce site as the next arm for Green's New Black. But I basically said like, I'd love to work with you actually. I think you have great energy. We get on really well. Like we were just like, it was just like so cool when we met and we were just, yeah, it was like we a really good together, fit. Yeah, yeah, totally great gel. Um, but then, and so we were going to do e-commerce, but I said to her, but I want it to be under Green is New Black because I'm already building this brand and I love the brand and I, I'm not, I don't want to give it up. Mm -hmm. So she said, fine, I'll come on with Green is New Black then as, but I want to be a co-founder because now we're building something completely different. I said, sure. So that's kind of how we, right, we right. came about it. And because like she brought in a completely co um, complementary but opposite s yeah. skill set to me. Um, and we just, yeah, blended so beautifully together. I was like, yeah, this is awesome. Um, so then we, instead of doing e-commerce, it obviously evolved and we then decided to do a media platform with a directory mm. um, and built content instead um, because I didn't want to do e-commerce in the end. What made you want to kind of move away from e-commerce? Um, I had a few conversations with people at the time who were struggling to start up um, brands from scratch in e-commerce mm. and they were now going into B2B and I just had a gut feeling. I just yeah. woke up one day basically after having a few of these conversations and I basically just messaged, or I think I called Paula, I'm like, I don't think we should do the e-commerce. She's like, what? We've just spent like four or five, six weeks like just planning for e-commerce and now you want to change it. I'm like, I had a feeling. And like, trust that intuition. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I was like, I just had this gut feeling that we shouldn't do it and these are my reasons yeah. that I've rationed. And then she was like, okay, you need to give me time to process this. And basically she processed, um, I mean, this is my version of the story from yeah. years ago. So she maybe has a totally different version but this is what I remember <laughs> happening. So yeah, Paula, don't kill me. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then she kind of thought about it. I was like, okay, like we're super into energy. So she was like, if, if this is a really strong feeling that you don't think we should do it, I don't think we should do it either then. Yeah. So what are we gonna do? And then that's when we said, okay, let's do media, let's create the directory, let's build this membership program where we can support brands instead. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, maybe I said like, maybe down the line we want to do our own stuff, fine. We want to go back into e-commerce. Maybe mm. we do that still. That's not off the table. But I think at the time where the brand was, it would have been 
too hard a fight, I think. Right, right. Um, anyway, that's, and so we pivoted mm -hmm. in a sense or evolved what we were doing. Yeah. Mm, that's interesting. And how do you think your skill sets kind of complement each other's strengths and weaknesses? Like you were saying how yeah. you're kind of like a jigsaw, I guess. Yeah. Like what so, kind of, I mean, yeah. I'm obviously very anal and detail orientated <laughs> and event, uh, the event person. So I see like th the bigger picture for the festivals and stuff. But then Paula is like crazy creative and mm. she kind of has this very cool grunge kind of, you know, opposite in a sense. So, and I'm creative in my own way, but we're very creatively different. Right, so right. when we come and brainstorm together, it's like the perfect piece. Yeah, yeah. Because she'll th see things she I don't, see blind spot, and, and yeah. vice versa. And yeah. like, I kind of, you know, get really overwhelmed when there's big projects. And I'm like, I can't be bothered. <laughs> like, I don't know where to start. And she'll just come in and be like, bam, 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 bam. Yeah. And she'll start everything and then hand it over and be like, great, now I have something to work with and I can build on this. So, and it, it's kind of good like that and like the things that I hate doing, she likes doing and oh, vice versa. I mean, there's some stuff we both hate doing. We fight over who has to do and that. What, but what <laughs> kind of, I feel like I know what you're gonna say. <laughs> what are those things? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, different things, I guess, but like there's some things where we're both just like, oh my God, don't wanna do this, like the admin stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so at another startup story, we are basically, we want to bridge the gap between creativity and entrepreneurship because we find there are a lot of creators out there who don't necessarily know much about the business side of things or they've never studied like accounting or done a business degree and you know, you don't need to have studied a business degree to, um, to start a business. Um, yeah. Uh, my question for you is, do you think people can be either creative or business and like finance focused or do you think people can be both? I think people can absolutely be both. I mean, like I'm very, see the funny thing is like Paula and I are both very business driven and we're both very creative but in completely opposite ways. Right. Which sounds very oxymoronic I guess, but it's true. <laughs> How do you mean, what like, do you mean by so, opposite ways? So me, I'm very business orientated in a sense of high standards, quality and seeing like how all the pieces fit together. Like if we don't do something, then that's gonna have a knock on effect. And I kind of see big picture of business strategy. Mm -hmm. She sees big picture creatively. So she's like, she can visualize like where she wants to see the company growing on a creative aspect, like how the festivals can be so much better and how our videos and, and all the, mm -hmm. you know, the, the creative thinking behind what we're doing. Right, right. Um, and then, you know, she can then pick apart details of things that I don't see and, and vice versa. So it's kind of like, you know, I'll give you an example, like when we're creating a video concept, you know, she'll come, I'll be like, okay, this is kind of the idea. And then she'll come up with, she'll do research and she'll be like, okay, I, I, I wanna do, you know, these are really cool ideas and she'll throw all the stuff on the table and then I'll be able to like structure that into something that makes sense from her kind of creative process. And yeah, then from there I'll create something and then she can then work on it again. So that's a really bad example. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, it makes sense in my head. I don't know how to explain it. <laughs> but I guess on a yeah business sense, like she's very like, She's not scared to talk to big brands. She's not scared to be talking to a CEO. When I started, I used to get really intimidated by people like that I had a lot of respect for or yeah. they're really important. And so she's kind of showing me like, they're just people. <laughs> you don't need to be so scared or whatever. And then in other aspects, like, yeah, so she has the balls to go and do some things that I'm like, ah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. That's interesting. Okay, cool. And just kind of going back to the, to the beginning, what, what would you say was your first move in starting the business? Uh, was this kind of like creating a website and what was like the very first thing that you did aside from brainstorming and coming up with the idea? 
Um, so once I decided, like, I kind of came up with the idea that I wanted to build a conscious community. Mm -hmm. um, and then I said, okay, so we're going to do an event. Um, so we kind of came up with the brand name and the... Where does the name come from? Green I mean, I really like light. it, yeah. Well, coming from a fashion background. So, um, yeah, it's like in fashion you say something is the new black. Yeah, yeah. As a common term. So green being sustainable yeah. like yeah we just used to write event names down mm -hmm. and we'd have we had a list of them and green is new black was just one of the names yeah. and i was like okay i love that one yeah like that's a really cool name and catchy it, so let's yeah, it's really catchy yeah so we did our first festival was called green is the new black like that was before we set up the company that was what the festival was called right, before right. it became a conscious and then the tagline was like a conscious festival and so then it obviously grew to Green yeah, is New Black as a company and the platform and the Conscious Festival as the event. Uh, yeah, yeah. But basically we said, okay, let's do this festival. Let's do it in six weeks. I went and found a venue. So the first time we did it was a working capital. So that's what I had to do first. I said, I want to take over your whole building for a day. And I had to convince Saranta, who's the founder, one of the founders of the working capital. And she was like, thought I was crazy, but luckily agreed to let us take over three floors of their co-working space yeah. um, and then yeah we just planned it so we just found brands we said okay we can have 40 different brands we mapped out and we just we just started doing it i mean mm -hmm. i knew how to put an event an event on Together, so yeah. yeah so it was yeah just that kind of process and just we knew there was six weeks so we just had to do it so in terms of actually like reaching out to the brands you've worked with brands such as peace express in hong kong and um, park royale how do you even, like when you're first starting out, how did you approach these brands? Um, I didn't approach those kind of brands when we started. Um, I mean, well, some brands, I guess. Like, I guess now we've built the credibility, so it's much easier to, mm -hmm. to speak to those kind of brands. And you only need, like, one or two bigger brands yeah. to do, or one big brand to take a chance and work with you. And then you have that as a case study, and you can yeah. build your credibility from there. But in the beginning, it was really hard because I'd worked for this massive fashion company and, I mean, massive fashion festival who did work with lots of big brands and there was a reputation there and I didn't realize in my young naivety that, yeah, people wouldn't believe in the next project because they didn't, like, I wasn't the founder of the first company, right? So I was just working there. And so, yes, I had some relationships that I could pull off, but actually people had no idea what I was doing in Conscious Living, what that even meant four or five years ago. Like a lot yeah. of the people were like, okay, I don't get what you're doing stuff, so let's watch and see kind of thing. Um, so that was really hard. But yeah, we were able to convince people in a similar mindset to believe in what we were doing. Mm -hmm. And that's how we had the first 40 brands join the festival. And I convinced some people to be on a panel. But even like 40, pe 40 brands is a lot of <laughs> first festival. How did you I manage guess. to get yeah, all those brands? Just I mean, reached out. And yeah. at the time, um, marketplaces and festivals weren't that big. And we were just going to a lot of them, meeting cool brands and being like, hey, we're doing something in sustainability. We're doing this yeah. conscious festival. Do you want to come? So it's just a lot of networking, I guess. A lot of networking, a lot yeah. of just reaching out. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we had a lot of no's. We had a lot of no replies, obviously, but you just keep going. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. And that's what they say about people who are just starting up their own brand is to actually preach to a choir, really, and not try and convince people who are, like, sitting on the edge, but actually just to... Exactly. Yeah, preach to people who are already yeah. interested exactly and then i guess because we had the track record in singapore it was easier in hong kong to and we mm. and as i said like people in hong kong were really supportive they were really able to connect us up very quickly to lots of different people and brands and we yeah. had great conversations so That's yeah great 
Um, so which business function would you say you've struggled with the most throughout your journey so far? Um, so like finance, sales, marketing? I know you said you didn't like the admin side, but is there any specific business function? Um, yeah, finance sucks <laughs> for me. Um, I started in the beginning trying to do our finances and then my then boyfriend, now fiance, um, like I was crying one day because I couldn't handle it and I was so stressed and he was just like, oh my God, let me have a look. And then he looked at me, he's like, this is an absolute mess. And he's an investment banker. So he was All like, right. okay, I'm going <laughs> to help you with this. And now he's our CFO. Really? <laughs> so, <laughs> so he's our CFO and he was instrumental um, in our fundraising process. Um, yeah, I'm just about to come on to Yeah, so yeah, I hate numbers. Um, and so yeah, I just, yeah, I was lucky that he was passionate about it and Obviously I mean, I don't think help, anyone can so be passionate about numbers. <laughs> he loves numbers. He really does. That's hilarious. Yeah, and loves Excel like no one I've I mean, ever Excel seen before. I Excel is great. Not you're speaking to an FC here. So yeah. <laughs> Excel is great. But um, but I guess in terms of like, before you um, before you went to go and pitch to investors, you'd have to put together a P&L. Had you uh, had you thought about getting external help, or was it just from your fiance? at the time? So we did, uh, we were part of an accelerator last year in Hong Kong. So oh we were part of an accelerator program for three, three four months called Betatron. Um, that was very helpful. You know, we obviously got to meet a lot of different types of investors and different types of people. Um, and then, yeah, that was, that was pretty helpful. But then we obviously did it all ourselves in the end mm -hmm. and we found an investor external to that network. So, um, yeah, I guess we did our first round of deck um, and Jan did the financial model with inputs from Polar and I, obviously. So he built our financial model. Um, and then he fixed our deck, because that's wow. what he does all day. That's amazing. So we were very lucky in that sense. Yeah. Um, and yeah. what advice would you give to people who don't necessarily have such an amazing fiance like you <laughs> <laughs> can do your, <laughs> your deck and um, build your financial model? <laughs> I think it's worth outsourcing. So obviously you know your business best, so do your first draft, but getting someone that does decks day in, day out, and spending a little bit of money to mm -hmm. make it look really professional, and getting some help. I mean, there's lots of people that you could outsource reasonably to help to build a financial model. Um, it's an amazing exercise to do, because you really then, like we had no business plan ever, so now our financial model is our business and our projections, that's our business plan. Mm. So we are able to, as a team, we decided on our projections and we can hold ourselves accountable to that now. Mm. And even without doing a fundraising process, I think that's a really Useful worthwhile exercise, e exercise do, yeah. absolutely, because you kind of, yeah, can look in the future and see, okay, what hires do you want to make? Therefore, what do you need to be bringing in on a yeah, monthly yeah. basis or a quarterly basis? And it just breaks it down. And so then it's so much easier to understand and, and keep yourself accountable. So mm. I think it was a great exercise. Um, so yeah. So essentially your financial model is just, you know, kind of like a budget, I guess, for... Well, yeah, but I mean, it's projections, right? Yeah. It's projections looking at all of our past data. I mean, it's mm -hmm. a proper model. Like, mm -hmm. it's not just a budget. There's actually a lot of coding behind right, the right. because you're projecting, and then you yeah. can change the numbers, and it projects different things, right? So we were lucky that Jan could build that for us. Yeah. Um, otherwise, yeah, it's kind of like a budget. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a projected budget, I yeah. guess. Um, so how did you initially fund the business at the early stages? So I had, like, some savings. Um, which I invested, I guess, um, like some money that I put aside. So I kind of lived off that in the beginning, but then we just had to bring in enough. 
to be honest. So that's why we did all the other jobs on the side so that we could bring in enough to pay rent. And obviously I took a tiny salary for a very yeah. long time. At the beginning. Yeah, so I think that's kind of how we funded and now, yeah, now we're, we've fundraised so that we can fast track our yeah. growth a bit. So yeah, you've just secured your first round of funding. Congratulations. Thank that's you. Amazing. Where, where did you look for your investors and um, what would you say is a one tip for people you know, at this stage, ready to go through their first round of funding? Um, so we just spoke to, it's a numbers game, I think, a big part of it. So we obviously had some investor network from the Betatron thing. We just told everyone that we knew that we were fundraising mm -hmm. and then had some really interesting conversations from there. And yeah. then, yeah, I think, it, especially if you're a smaller company, not looking for like millions, um, your personal network is a really great place to start because people invest in you because they mm. believe in you, not necessarily because of the business. So our our investor is because he believes in us and the business, obviously, but it's really because yeah, yeah. people uh, investors invest in people, not yeah, in so companies true. necessarily. So I think looking at your immediate network, family, friends, um, you know, people that you've met along the way and just sharing it, I think is, is a great place to start mm. sharing that you're fundraising. Yeah, no, really good advice. And what would you say is the one thing you wish you knew when starting out as an entrepreneur? So there's this amazing quote by Marie Forleo that everything is figureoutable. And when I... I love that. It's so good. my mentality is like, you'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so I think I've stressed myself out so unnecessarily in the past because I've just been like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. And I just spiral down massively. Yeah. Um, but when I <laughs> focus on that mindset and be like, okay, you know what? This is, a, it is what it is. And I'm going to stay calm and I'm going to figure this out because there will be a solution to this. And when I can maintain that mindset and clarity, yeah, I, I see the big picture. Mm -hmm. I can figure out very quickly what we can do and I can rectify it to the best of my ability. And if it doesn't work after that, then fine. At least I know I did everything I could opposed to freaking out and crying and you know creating a lot <laughs> of stress and drama for myself. No Sometimes help. that still needs to happen. Now my fiance and I are trying this like five minute rule, which we're just trying at the moment where I, you know if something goes wrong, we can be mad or frustrated or cry or whatever we need to do for five minutes and then it's over and we get on with it. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> So great. that's still a work in progress, but, <laughs> <laughs> but yes, that is the phrase that I would want to remind myself in the beginning more or in those stressful moments I think and be like yo <laughs> this is just a lesson <laughs> there's a solution yeah yeah then. don't worry so much has there been like a specific past failure which has you know worked out for the better and set you up for like success in the future and like what have you learned from it mm. I mean I guess all of the challenges end up showing you how to be better so I think the ones you know around partnerships and and that kind of thing were really interesting because it taught us how to be more professional, um, how to do our research properly on partners and make sure that. Do you mean your brand, the brand partners? Um, yeah, partners? just like sponsors, partners. Like those are the I think some of the places where we've maybe screwed up a bit um, and learnt the most yeah. um, in some aspects, and then others are kind of around communication so there's been you know times one time in particular where we had some like haters attacking one of our events because of one of the partners we were working with right. um, and 
in the end, everyone was like, don't engage. Don't engage with them. Like the PR company was like, don't engage. Our, our venue partner was like, don't engage. Everyone was like, don't engage with them. And I was like, that goes against everything I feel right now. And so I ignored everybody's advice and went with my intuition and engaged. <laughs> <laughs> and in the end, I gave them my email and they wrote me essays. Um, and in the end, I said, Like, hey, I, Mel. Yeah, like, I mean, in a sense, one of them was very aggressive, one of them was a bit more constructive, but also intense. And I wrote back and said, Thanks for your email. Let's meet for a coffee. This is when I'm free next week. Tell me when you want to meet. That's all I replied. Mm. And yeah, in the end, they replied and we met. And in the end, it wasn't actually us, and they didn't realize that we were such a small company, you know, because we have, I guess they said, you know, we seemed really big and professional, but really at the time we were two full time yeah. and a bunch of volunteers um, for the festival. And so we met her, and, you know, she apologized, and my partner for that particular event was like, yeah, you made Steph cry a lot. <laughs> and it was just this really funny moment, and she was like, I'm so sorry. And in the end, she ended up coming to the event and giving us a lot of amazing feedback and constructive oh, feedback, wow. so we made her an ally. But in the end, her war wasn't with us. It was with someone else. She was just using us. Right. Because you were just like the scapegoat, basically. Yeah, because of a bigger war that she, not war, I mean, okay, let's not <laughs> use that kind of terminology, but like a bigger <laughs> yeah. fight. Um, a d bigger disagreement. <laughs> yes, and it wasn't to do with us, really. Right, right. It was just, just we were caught, caught in the middle, yeah, yeah, which is fine. So that was a great lesson in yeah. itself on so many different levels. A, follow your intuition. B, like, do your research <laughs> mm. um, to make sure you know what the potential pitfalls are going to be, which yeah. we did not do. And C, yeah, when you have someone that's causing a lot of ruckus, just meet them mm. and show them that there's a human behind the brand yeah, yeah. and actually you can come to a better solution that way. Yeah. So I still follow those principles today. That's great. But you have to learn the hard way sometimes, so I don't regret anything that happened there. I think it was all a great learning curve, and in the end, we came out much stronger for it. So even though it felt like the worst thing in the world at the time, <laughs> when that one day when it happened. You're like, yeah, yeah I'm going to speak to them. <laughs> yeah. And going against what everyone else is saying, exactly. trusting your own intuition. Mm. There's definitely something to be said for that. Um, who in the world of business do you most admire? And why? There's so many people I admire. It's a really hard question to answer, but I think okay, from afar, <laughs> it's like Marie Forleo because I just love her advice. She's kind of like a guru thought leader in the States. And I just think her approach to business and thinking and what she's been able to build is just phenomenal. So I have mm. so much respect for her. Um, and I guess in Singapore, there's like lots of incredible women that I get to work with or, or I'm friends with and I just have a lot of respect for what they're doing and I have huge admiration and I think they inspire me to do more and to do better and to just keep going. Like, and I, mm. I love the fact that I get to be around all these powerhouse women. So they inspire me. Yeah. yeah, That's great. And what do you think is the one asset or skill you need to get further in life? Um, that's a great question. Uh, what is the word that I'm looking for? Um, I think just the ability to keep going, to just keep oh, stepping. like resilience. Resilience, grit. yeah, thank you. <laughs> resilience and grit, but yeah. more just a sense of as long as you keep moving forward, like, yeah. you can do anything. You just break it down, take small mm -hmm. steps. Like, that for me, whenever I am overwhelmed by something, I go, okay, what is, like, the first small step I can take to do this, and I just do that, and then I think about the next one, mm -hmm. and I just keep going. So I think for me, that is what has kept me going over the years, and whenever I get stuck in my head, I just 
take an action. Yeah. So even though it seems really simple, because it is, um, it is game changing. Well, it was for me anyway. It's weird because like if you think about it, we're never really constant. We're either moving forwards or backwards. And so I think, yeah, sometimes we get overwhelmed by thinking we have to take these big leaps that essentially small steps. Yeah. Baby steps. <laughs> Baby steps. Little green steps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when, when you're feeling overwhelmed or unfocused, I know some, everyone has those days where you just want to stay in bed and not face the world. What do you do to get back on track? Obviously working alone, not alone, but not being in a big office. Sometimes some, you have to have a lot of discipline, I think. And how do you kind of get back on track? Um, I've never, I mean, I think there was only one day ever that I lay in bed and didn't want to get out. So well, I can't One super, day in your whole life? No, one day since <laughs> I started the company. Yeah. <laughs> one or two days maybe, but it's not something that is in my, my personality to, <laughs> okay. I'm too, like, I guess the standards are too high to lie in bed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think, but I mean, I, I get it. Like yeah, some days, of course, I have like, like, you just like, like, yeah, I mean, when I'm having shitty days, like, to be honest, I just stop. Yeah. Like I give, if I know, if I'm, if I feel like I'm battling against a wall, my head's burning because I'm so mm. stressed or whatever. I'm like, do you know what? It's not going to come today. That's yeah. fine. Or tonight. So I just be kind to myself and I listen to my body. I normally have a meal or I'll like go for a walk. Food is always the answer. Food <laughs> is great. I'll like go for a walk or watch Netflix if that's what I want to do yeah. or just like go for a swim now in my new place. But that's not something I could have done before. But I think I'm just kind to myself and I just take the pressure off. Yeah. And yeah, you know what? Just do what you need to do. Do what you need to feel. If you want to sit on the couch and watch Netflix, do it. Yeah. That's fine. Um, and that was a good escape for me for a while. And then I would just refresh myself and come back the next day. And, mm. and I think for me, it's more a mantra that I always say to myself um, is that I always get stuff done at the perfect time. That has, yeah, given me a lot, like that just takes a lot of pressure off me. Mm. So like, you know what, I'll get this done when it's the right time. Yeah, yeah. And that, that just allows me, and then when I take the pressure off myself, then my creativity is able to come back in for certain things or that I can tackle things differently. And yeah, I think at the end of the day, if you have a deadline, you'll meet it if you have to. So yeah. you will get stuff done at the right time. It's like Parkinson's law, have you heard about that? No. It's like when it's basically the law that whenever your deadline is set, say for example you, you have something due in next week, you will, and it doesn't take that long, it doesn't actually take a whole week to do, you will just prolong, you will use that whole week to, to actually produce the work, whereas if it was due, you know, say on the Tuesday, you would actually get it done by the Tuesday, and it's like yeah. about efficiency and, you know, just like maxing out time. Totally. Um, okay, just a couple more questions. Mm. Um, what do you do to keep the best work-life balance um, and ensure that you're staying creative and productive at work? Probably links a bit more into mm. the last question, but what kind of, are there any tools, like um, habits that you have? Yeah, so I'm pretty diligent about my morning routine. Um, I was gonna ask you, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tell me about your morning routine. Um, I always so, find it interesting. Yeah, so typically if I'm doing everything, and I don't always do everything, but I, there's always at least a few pieces that I do, but I will um, do coconut oil pulling. So just gargling with gargling coconut. in your mouth? Yeah, yeah. with coconut I oil. that's good. Is that yeah. just to get rid of all the toxins, yes. basically? Remove the toxins from my body, um, yeah. And just, so I do that, then I do my teeth, obviously. And then I do, um, I work out normally. So I'll, at home, mm -hmm. just with YouTube, or I do Kundalini yoga or HIIT, mm -hmm. um, or different types of yoga, just at home on the yeah. mat. 
and I do that um, for anywhere between 20 and 30 minutes and then I'll journal. Oh, I journal a lot as well. Yeah. It's like changed my life. Yes, it's complete game changer. uh, I don't even know why people don't, you know, teach this in school because it's just, yeah. Total game changer. And then now I started meditating again, so I'll meditate between five and 10 minutes. um, And then, yeah, then I'll shower. And then I have like a special tea, like an actogenic tea. And sometimes I'll have like green smoothies or something, but that's kind of like my morning routine. Um, And at night I don't, um, oh, I permanently have my phone on do not disturb. Yeah, me too. I don't get notifications for WhatsApp or Instagram or nothing now anymore. Yeah. And it's, again, changed my life. Yeah. Calls will come through. Anyone yeah, that calls yeah, me can get through instantly. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. have, like, a special call list. Yeah. But I will. On, I don't have notifications. That's yeah. game-changing. And, and the times that I, I think I mentioned this at the panel, like, when I have to put my notifications on again if something if I'm really waiting for something important to come through the vibrations stress me out Mm, so much it's crazy right the worst thing is when you used to wake up and just see all these like notifications and you'd because I'm so like I'm very much like I need to deal with that right now it would stress me out so now I just don't even look at my whatsapp messages until I've like done all my morning routine yeah same I I don't look at my phone until unless I know that there's something like yeah if it's yeah like now you know if it's pre-event time like I have to kind of have a quick sing again and see if there's anything that urgently happened and if not but generally like I won't look at my phone for the first hour and a half of my day yeah and then at night, I try not to look at it an hour or two before I go to bed. That's really good. Yeah. So my morning routine is pretty knocked down, but the night time is hard. Like night time, I'm like, oh, I can just go through now. And then before you know it, it's like, fuck, it's, it's 11.30. Yeah, it's bad. I know. And it's, it's bad, bad for your brain. Yeah. Like you need to, so now I'm like at night, Switch on. I'm, when I'm in a good routine at night, I read before I sleep for yeah. 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's a bit inconsistent at the moment, so but I'm trying to get a better, a stronger night routine because I do struggle sleeping. Right. Like, yeah. Um, I don't struggle falling asleep, but when I'm stressed in the mornings, I have really intense dreams. Mm, that's interesting. So, yeah. Um, okay. And then I don't work very often on the weekends anymore at all. So my weekends are where I recoup and... Were you working a lot on the weekends when you first started yes. out? Yes. Like but it was not sustainable. And yeah. to be honest, you I think... You get burnout, don't you? Yeah, massive Crazy. burnout all the time. So now the, my weekends are very sacred. Mm. So I will only do stuff for work if I really have to or if we're in a crazy yeah. period. Like pre-festival, I always have to work on the weekend for the three weeks leading up to it, but that's fine. Mm. I, I know that, so I'm mentally prepared for yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, That's great. Um, okay, so couple last question, actually. If you had to gift one book to someone, uh, what would it be? You Can Heal Your Life by Louise Hay, without I'll a doubt. that. You have to. It's phenomenal. Um, She is the founder of Hay House, um, which is a global media publishing platform um, that does all the new age stuff, all the Mm. books that are really going to change your life. Um, And she wrote that book uh, when she was like in her 50s or 60s, and it was in the 80s that she wrote it, and it's just phenomenal. Um, There's this whole section at the back where Basically, I mean, so it explains a lot of different things about how our mind basically creates all the ailments in our bodies and these kind of things, but it's just written in a way that's really easy to understand. Yeah, and not really scientific. <laughs> yeah, and no, but it has the science backing and stuff, yeah. right? Like, so it's not, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's not going to bore you to tears. It's like, explains it in a way you're like, okay, that makes total sense. Yeah. Um, and then there's a section at the back where it basically um, breaks it down. So it says, okay, if you get headaches, for example, Let's oh, say, okay, wow. typically headaches 
um, are caused, it, this is the probable cause, and it will be a certain pattern of thinking that you have. And then they'll give you a new pattern of right. thinking that you should adopt to get rid of that. So it's just incredible wow. um, because our minds and our, our thoughts control our reality. Yeah, for sure. So have you heard of Joe Dispenza? Heard of, yeah. Yeah, so I've just got his book recently. I can't remember what it's called, but it sounds very similar. Mm -hmm. Talking about how the mind, you know, creates the thoughts and the patterns and obviously actions. And yeah. But yeah, it sounds, I find that stuff really interesting. Mm. But yeah, but you should get that Yeah, book it's definitely next. one. I want it for some Blinkist. Do you use Blinkist at all? No. I've got I, that. Um, I like yeah. having a physical book. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I'll definitely add that one to the list. It sounds really good. Okay, cool. All right, well, thanks for joining us. I don't know if you have any last words. Um, yes, to always <laughs> take little green steps because the planet is dying and we're all playing a part. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> cool. So, yeah. All right.